Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and here is the esteemed Mr. John Morris Esquire with today's sponsors. Esquire the third. Um, yeah. Everybody, welcome back to Working Class Fishing. And this episode is brought to you by Troutlander Nets, Lid Rig, Angry Rooster Fly Company, Max and Outfitters, and Morris Fly Co. Thanks, John. And make sure to go check out all of those awesome sponsors. They got some great deals out there for everybody and uh, let them know that you heard about them from us. So today's very special guest that we have is uh, he's become a, a good friend of mine and uh, he's he's well known in our local angling community here uh, in, in Oregon, the Pacific Northwest greater. Uh, he's been featured in videos by uh, some YouTubers and stuff like that, but he's not per se, like the social media hound or the YouTuber you're used to hearing about on here, but he is a professional licensed guide in the state of Oregon. And this is uh, Logan Ellis and Logan owns Chicken Little's Guide Service. Uh, he guides for salmon, steelhead, bottom fish, crab, uh, kokanee. Um, so he's got a pretty wide plethora of different species that he's guiding for. And he pretty much fishes year round. But anyways, Logan, thanks so much. Welcome and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you. And so we went fishing this last weekend and, and we made a pact. Uh, you'll, nobody here will ever know where we fished. Ever, nope. ever. And, and we're going to keep it that way. Uh, it, it was some random location in the state of Oregon. Uh, we're not going to talk about it. But we had a pretty good time. Uh, I, well, I, I guess I did. Um, we, we got some bass. We got a trout, got a couple salmon too. Um, it, it was awesome fishing and, uh, man, uh, but, but you've been having a pretty epic fall season so far. Yeah, it's been pretty good. The, uh, started out in the ocean and then on the coast and now we're just pretty much waiting for, uh, some rain to happen and then, uh, salmon should be back on. And, uh, yeah, that, I'm, I'm waiting for that too. <laughs> I'm like, I keep looking at my phone. I'm looking at the weather report scanning ahead seven, 10 days, and it's just looking dry. And uh, so, well, we know what happens with that, but um, you know, I know a lot about you. Uh, John knows a little bit about you, but for the people listening, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you, how'd you get started in fishing and what got you to the point to where you're a guide today? Yeah. So I always grew up trout fishing when I was little with my dad and grandpa and brother. And pretty much up until high school, I was always just trout fishing or crabbing with my family. And then it wasn't until high school uh, when I had the freedom to go on my own drive that I started picking up salmon fishing, steelhead fishing on my own. And then in high school, I bought my first boat and it kind of started from there. Once I started going out by myself with friends in my boat, started learning rivers and the techniques for salmon steelhead. It, pretty much started right there so i'm i'm thinking back um you know you have a youtube channel it's not something that you exploit or talk about a lot but i remember i was looking up you know fishing the mid willamette valley and and you had a video there and it looked like you were in a pretty popular fishing hole i'm not going to name the river name but um you were hooked up on a fish and you were hauling it in and your brother was there. And I think your dad was there. If I'm not mistaken, I, I, I haven't went back to like refresh, but you had this fish hooked up. Was that like one of your first salmon that you ever got? Yeah, that was actually the first one I ever hooked. Uh, and the funny story was it actually was foul hooked in the top of the head. So I wasn't even able to keep it, but it was pretty awesome to get it all in video with my family there, at least to let it go. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't going to mention anything about that because I remember at the end of the video, you reel it up. You're like, dude, your, your dad was like, Logan, you got a salmon. And you're like, yeah. And the other guy comes in and just rains on your parade. He's like, hooked. And uh, I was like, 
I wasn't going to say anything, but it does happen. So, yeah. you know, that's cool. So that was like, that. that's a pretty cool thing that you have that first fish on, you know, video that you can always go back and remember. Yeah, definitely. Not many people can say they get their first salmon on video. So, yeah, it kind of happens out of nowhere too. That's the whole thing. It's like, you're out there, you're grinding. It's like steelhead. You're grinding, grinding, grinding. And you know, you get on that. So, yeah. so, you, so you started out, you were, you were crabbing trout fishing and then got your freedom and started salmon fishing, but uh, I'll brag on your own, right? Not everybody can salmon and steelhead fish like you can. There's, <laughs> and you're going to be like, yeah, I don't know. There's guys out there and yeah, we know the guides, we know the dudes, we know all these guys, but, um, you got, you got kind of the mojo for, for steelhead, especially. And, and, uh, you know, you've, you've fished and we've fished in the middle of some very, very good guides. And we were kind of nuking fish and they, they were having a little bit slower day, not to say that they, they know what they're doing. It was just like, I guess we just were graced with luck. Yeah. I, I think part of it might've been luck, but I've, I've had some great mentors getting going guiding so they've helped me a lot and i've learned a lot the last couple of years even before i started guiding just working up to it and really being out there as much as i can you know practice makes perfect so the more practice you get the better you get oh absolutely i mean um gosh i, I think john and i we've talked about it you know you, you go out and you have like a you, just a rough day and and uh you're like ah, you know i don't know if there's any fish here or not and then you, you go back and you're looking at stuff and like, if we're fly fishing, we're looking at casting all this other stuff. And, um, you go back and you kind of think about what went wrong with what I was doing. Was it my presentation? Was it the drift? Was it the water I was fishing? Was I not reading it? And you kind of start learning about it, but, um, yeah, you've had some pretty epic people around you too, that have really, um, man, they've embraced you. That's pretty cool because not everybody does that. So <laughs> you got, you got some kind of magic there as well. Yeah. No, I'm super thankful for the people who've helped me along the way. It's, and, and, and we help each other, you know, always communicating and go, you know, what's going on between rivers and stuff like that. So. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think, uh, back to, um, you know, some of the, some of the other stuff that you were doing before you were a guide and it, you know, seeing like a progression of, of what you were doing, because I only found out about you from your brother and, and full disclosure, Logan's brother is one of my students. I won't name names or anything else. Cause it's not within what's allowable, but he was one of my students. And he started telling me, Hey, my brother fishes. I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, he's like, Oh, my brother fishes. I was like, yeah, that's cool. He's like, dude, my brother got a couple salmon this weekend and, and he, he river, he name dropped a river. I'm not going to say it. He name dropped the river to me. I was like, there's fish there. He's like, Oh yeah, my brother gets them all the time. So now you can go beat him up. <laughs> you can run him over in the driveway with the truck. I didn't say anything to anybody. I, I was like, eh, I'm a little bit skeptical of it, you know, but then he comes in, he's like, Oh, look at what my brother caught this weekend. And I got like some old nasty black Thule out of another river. And here you got two beautiful dime bright coho. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, and it's like, my brother's going to get his guide license. I was like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll book your brother when he gets his license. I said, I'll, when, whenever that happens, I'll book him. And so I I'm a man of my word. I booked you. I ended up being one of your first clients or something. I don't know if there was anybody before that, but I think no, you got it. No, you were actually my first client. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, me and, uh, uh, was it Aaron? Aaron. 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 Yep. Yeah. We yep. were both your first clients. Yep. Well, this yep. is awesome. Uh, so, um, I guess we'll step back a little bit when you started really getting into the salmon and steelhead fishing. Um, you got that first fish and, and another thing, John and I talk about you, you catch a fish and then you want to catch a big fish and then you want to catch a lot of fish. And then you kind of go through this whole evolution. And I probably got that backwards. John can correct me at some point, but. Oh no, dude, that's close <laughs> enough. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, what really drew you in to that, that salmon and steelhead fishing? Uh, I think it's, I mean, yeah, the fight's fun, the, the meats, you know, when you get the meat, it's awesome, but I liked it because it was more of a hunt. Like you actually have to search around, put in your time, put in your effort just to even catch one. 
like it it took me almost three years of practicing and learning all the techniques to catch my first salmon so after i finally caught one after three years that's like okay i'm gonna keep doing this to try to get better so you grounded out for three years yeah yeah all throughout i guess it was end of middle school beginning of high school me me, my dad and my brother went out on our little 15 foot boat and we tried and tried and we can never get one and i finally hooked one there in that video on my youtube page so that was that was the start of it that that's what started it all at well um when you talk about 15 foot what kind of boat was it uh it was a little smoker craft oh okay so it's just a little aluminum v yeah. boat and you yeah. so were you guys like trolling for salmon then yeah we trolled we bobber fished out of it i even ran that up some rivers uh, it, it had a prop on it i was kind of pushing it people looked at us weird running by drift boats and we, we we made the most out of it but it never even caught any fish in that boat so we sold it and i got a new one <laughs> dude i'd love to see that just a little 15 foot smoker craft just cruising up the river you know cutting up through a, like a riffle or something like that how many horse motor did it have like a 20 uh yeah exactly a 25 <laughs> i'd love to see that i i i think i'd almost pay money to watch that because it's <laughs> just so funny because you don't think that's like a lake boat that's like trolling kokanee or doing something like that you know uh, yeah it's just yeah. hilarious to me uh, yeah man but but you got you got that you got the boat and you got your first salmon um from that whole experience, I mean, after you got that first salmon, did you start really keying in on fish pretty consistently or was it still a little bit like, Hey, I got this first one. And then it was like a big wall of like, eh. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got that first one. Like, all right, I got this figured out. And then it wasn't figured out. Uh, it, it took me a little while after that to really dial it in. Yeah. It's kind of funny to me with that, you know, because I, there again, uh, John, John was throwing streamers. Was it last year? And you were lucky that you had the nymph box with you. <laughs> Dude, but, yeah. It's yeah, there's just so many, it's so hard to figure out. And what I, sorry, I'm time flies over here. I'm kind of listening more than talking, but like three years is not a short amount of time, but in the grand scheme of things, to get as dialed as you are, it's pretty, pretty unreal. And I'm not here to gas you up. I've never even had the pleasure of shaking your hand. But what I am here to say is that uh, numbers don't lie, right? Regardless of what anyone else thinks, numbers don't lie. And I've seen your stuff. And you are, I think, one of the certifiably one of the most fishiest people uh, ever. I think if someone squeezed your head, salmon and steelhead would come out. So... <laughs> So how, for, for me, you know, uh, I guess we'll go back to that whole nymph thing, dude, like you, you get so stuck on one thing and you can't figure it out. And then you're lucky that you have something else, but it seems like you're, you're kind of like Simper Gumby because uh, Brian and we, we actually, you actually come up in conversation a lot. I don't know. It's weird, but <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're always flexible. You're, you're, you're willing to change it up to make it happen. So, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give that back to you guys. I just, I just wanted to chime in for a second. <laughs> so, so that flexibility then that, that John's talking about, uh, in, in that respect, um, you know, did, did you find that you were, when you started fishing for salmon, that you were, you know, you'd got that first one, I believe it was on the float and bait. And then, um, after that, did you start experimenting around with the different methods, like the twitching jigs and the spinners and all that kind of stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I did the whole thing, you know, trolling and casting and jigging everything. I, I was trying to learn it all, but it, uh, I, I would say trolling for sure. I started hooking them more, you know, consistently so that's kind of what i been best at i guess i still have stuff to work on but i feel like i've got trolling decently dialed in so yeah and and uh you know as far as like so salmon they're they're, they're pretty i don't want to say that they, they have like a limited palette of things 
because in one instance, you know, we're out, we're out offshore and it's all three sixties or triangles and, you know, um, you know, uh, pack baits, we'll just throw pack baits out there, for example, or, uh, spinners or hoochie spinners or something, you know, there's going to be like the, the, the prime cut of the day, what, what's on the menu. And then you find them and it just goes ballistic, especially with coho, uh, yeah. once you find them, but you have to find them and you have to be fishing the right thing in the right sequence at the right time. So it's like, they're there, but yeah, you could throw a cut plug herring out and just get drive-bys all day offshore. Where with springers, you put out a cut plug herring and a cannonball in a river, you know, in a triangle, and you're just running everything at the bottom and running it hard and beating on them. Maybe they'll bite. Maybe yeah. they'll swim off. You'll scan them. You'll see them on sonar, but they just kind of like, you know, hey, look, there's fish. Why don't they want to bite? Well, they're just kind of hanging out. And you're ripping all this gear through the middle of them, and they're just like, they're there. They don't want to bite. It's really uh salmon are kind of a bizarre animal to me, but the one that gets me the most is steelhead. Like steelhead, there's something else. When when did you get your first steelhead? Just to start there. Oh, it was probably I want to say 2016, something like that. So I don't know, five, six years ago. So pretty, pretty hot run year, I believe, if I recall, 2016 yes. was really good. There was a lot of fish available in the river. Yeah. And that's probably why I caught my first one because it was a good run. <laughs> well, it helps, you know, nobody can fault the run for the anglers effort, especially with steelhead. When you have the fish available, that is the best time for somebody that's new to be able to go out and catch the fish. Um, what, what were you doing exactly? What, what kind of technique were you using? I was bobber dog and beats the same thing I do now. I mean, there's, it hasn't, really, <laughs> hasn't really changed, but I've gotten, you know, better at it and know the spots better. So yeah. that's, and fishing where the fish are, you know, you don't want to fish in water where they're not going to be because you're not going to catch one. So real quick, cause I've never caught a steelhead. I'm not from the Pacific Northwest or uh, don't have access to any of those great lakes rainbows either. So what is that kind of water you're looking for? Uh, so I look for uh, water that's about anywhere from four to seven feet deep. And it's about walking speed, like current. And a little bit of chop on the water helps to more, for more cover for the steelhead. That's what usually it's uh, dropping in after a rapid, kind of the middle of the hole and before it gets to the tail out. It's like right in that prime zone right there. I mean, I, I know that you'll hear certain guys say, well, you want the fast broken water, but they never really get into the details of the depth, like yeah, yeah four to seven feet. And, and, you know, because they'll sit in that fast water, they're not like salmon where they're slugs they are sitting in the bottom of that fast water, obviously currents lower at the bottom and where we're bobber dogging, you know, basically yanking that bait through by hydraulic force and everything else and you know having kind of that drifting presentation it's it really that's like the zone that's the kill zone for them yeah and i i've caught them in holes you know 10 15 feet deep but on occasion you know uh you also catch them in a foot of water sometimes but for the most part it's that four to seven foot so how do you all right so brian has showed me a million bobber dog setups right like how to rig them but i've never seen one like i've well i've seen brian fishing like on stream and stuff but um how how do you get that depth is it because it's the sliding bobber is that yeah is that how you are able to change the depth up is that uh yes part of the the depth is uh depending on how much weight you use to really and how deep you set your bobber stop so that slip bobber will go up your line to that stop if you only set it at four foot you can only fish up to four feet of water really um dragging the bottom anyways but usually when i'm fishing those runs i'll have the bobber stop set anywhere from really six to 12 feet just depends on the current too if the current's a little faster you got to go a little deeper to get it down there yeah that's you know that's that's a really good point you know that's that's the case when fishing even rivers with flies and stuff like that. Like that's something a lot of people don't understand is that the more current you have, you know, 
uh, people will be like, well, I'm, I'm going to put this fly a foot under my indicator and then they drift it through. But what they don't understand is they don't make that correlation that because of these, I mean, the, the water hydraulics is that fly is no longer a foot below your indicator. It's probably, you're lucky if it's an inch, depending on how fast your, your water is moving. So weight, weight has a huge factor on, uh, just getting your baits down in the strike zone but so is that also dependent on like your line size does does that help you guys so th this is like from ryan and logan i guess is so if i lower my line size theoretically that should make it sink faster right yes uh we use braided line up here so we're pretty okay. much running 30 pound for steelhead some people run 50 but since braided line is so thin it doesn't really matter with braided line um it and you use anywhere from i guess a th uh, third ounce to sometimes three quarter ounce weight so even if you do have a thicker line you can just use a little more weight to get it down gotcha okay so is fluorocarbon like out of the equation here is uh, braided stock standard well, so we're using braided mainline. We use fluorocarbon just for our leader, which leader is only, only, you know, a couple feet. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, as kind of a, and this is not a bobber dogging bobber. This is a vertical float um, type setup. So this is a one ounce. That's, that's what I'm using for salmon right now, just to run bait. And I got, I got 30 inches a liter going down to three-aught hook. And then what I did up here was I put on 18 feet of, or 18, 20 feet. I say 18 feet because it kind of doubles over on the rod. But 20 feet of 20-pound fluorocarbon here. And then put the bobber stop on this just to put about as much of a stealth presentation in this low, clear water as I could. Um, and I noticed uh, that I do a lot better with that type of rig for steelhead, too, where it seems to help over just going directly to like the three-way swivel on, on the, the, um, bobber dog and setup where the weight is to actually put like a fairly significant, like flora or mono bump or something where it doesn't have that water float resistance to actually put it down at the bottom. And I, I think you do something similar too. If I remember right, you put a fairly long section of that bumper on your setup too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think mine's about 15 foot and, when the water is up and colored, it doesn't really matter. The fish won't see the line, but I do it a lot more just for the bobber to be able to slide. The bobbers don't slide that well on braid. Mm -hmm. And especially if it's cold out, icy, that braid just gets iced up and the bobber won't slide, but it will slide easy on floor or mono. Now, as far as line icing goes, and this is something that affects us, uh, you do it anything like, uh, another guy he showed me, he shot everything with real magic. He's like, yeah, just hose everything with real magic. Back when I was a kid, we shot everything at WD 40. And then somebody was like, Oh, you can't do that. Um, you doing anything on, on line icing on braid? Uh, I never have. I just deal with it, deal so with it, <laughs> make a few casts and then dip your rod in the water and get it off. So, yeah. And if it's that cold, I usually, you know, I'm not in a hurry that first thing in the morning. So sometimes start a little later or just kind of sit around and wait for it to warm up yeah I, I think some people get that that misnomer of like oh steelhead like really cold and it's not necessarily true it's like they they have their happy zone but once it gets like super cold they're like us they want to like kind of find a place to curl up in a ball have you caught any steelhead in like sub-zero temperatures like sub-zero air temperatures where like there was ice forming on the edge of the river uh no, not sub-zero. I've been out in about 15, 20 degrees, but I mean, it's still still cold and still ice everywhere, but nothing below zero. Yeah, I, I didn't know if uh, you'd fished any of like, uh, you know, some of the central or eastern Oregon rivers or tribs uh, when in, in that winter pocket, I guess. they. I know that some of them do get um, runs of steelhead, but I can only imagine that it's just brutal like miserable and painful it's not like the coast where it's like rain which rain can be brutal and miserable and painful too but um you th that's where you mostly focus your time i didn't know if you'd been over there no okay um 
So, so we talked about salmon steelhead, uh, but something that you do also is the salt water. And this week on the podcast, we just had one of our guys, uh, Earl, uh, Earl Mast, and he's, he's just, he's a good old boy. He likes to go out and he likes to bottom fish a lot. You like the bottom fish too. And you guys get like some crazy epic action offshore. Uh, when, when did you actually start going out in the salt? Because the salt's a different world. Yeah, I didn't start really ocean fishing till I got my, see, it would have been, I guess, my first boat, the, the first boat after that little 15 foot. Um, and the only main reason I went out in the ocean is just there's more fish out there and more action than the rivers and bays. Uh, and I first went out, just me, my dad, and my brother. We had no idea what we were doing. And uh, we were bottom fishing, and we caught our limit of lingcod and rockfish. We're like, wow, this is easy. Uh, some days, some days, sure, it is easy. But there's other days, it's, it's definitely fish, and you got to work for them. But, and you never, I like the ocean. You're never going to know what you're going to reel up. I mean, yes. it can be, sometimes you catch a stingray, sometimes a shark, tons of different bottom fish. You never know. Well, that, the cool part of that is, is that yeah, you, you go out there and you're absolutely right. Like you can have a boom day. Like you get on a school of like black rockfish and, and it's every drop, boom, 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 boom. And then you have other days where it's like, well, I see things on the, on the, you know, sonar, but what is it? And, and there's nothing or you're long leader fishing and you catch a, a giant lingcod that you would love to keep and you can't keep, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, you have all this stuff, but that that whole saltwater thing that there again you started out with your dad doing that and was it was it when you got your fish right that you started going out or did you have you guys have another boat before that that you started going uh, out with i had a a 17 foot jet craft it was a windshield boat okay before that and uh that's what i started going out in the ocean with people thought we were crazy it was only 17 feet but we only go out in calm days and I mean, it caught plenty of fish, so we were happy with it. Oh, yeah. Well, it, that, you know, my friend Jim, he has a 18-foot, or it's a Pro 180V. It's technically 21-foot with the offshore bracket, but 18-foot boat, and we'll go out, you know, 40, 50 miles with that. People think we're insane, too. I, I, I would venture to say that 99% of people think we're insane, but the boat's built for it, and you go out when the – conditions are right and I, we were talking a couple months ago i was like i know nothing about like ocean and wave wind wave and swells and all that and i'll happily admit that because i i've just not been that much into ocean fishing and you showed me some resources and stuff and i can say the difference between what you like for ideal conditions and what jim considers ideal conditions uh, is the difference between me not puking and puking i can tell you that <laughs> no uh, jim's jim's a fantastic mariner and great fisherman great angler awesome friend uh but um it, it also could be vessel size too uh do you notice a difference now now you have a 25 foot boat that was a 17 foot you notice a big difference between those whole lengths and all that oh yeah definitely it, i can i've been out in some gnarly stuff with my new boat and it does just fine so i, I kind of i mean my range for the ocean waves is still the same, but it's when it gets windy, uh, I can stay out a little longer in the wind for sure now than I used to. I, the second it got windy with my old boat, I'd hit it. I wouldn't even want to deal with it, but now I'm like, I, I'm still, I'm still comfortable. Yeah, it is a comfortable boat. It's an awesome boat. I love it. It's so versatile. It was a lot of fun on Sunday. I can tell you that, um, <laughs> uh, unbelievable maneuverability um but i always wondered if it if that actually played a factor because you would see people on charter boats like they're 40 45 50 feet and they're just out there jigging along like hey this is great and everything else and you just woo, 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 like that you know you're bobbing and they're just like Whoa. i i always wondered if that made a difference like vessel size to seasickness uh i i can't say because i really don't get seasick but Lucky. for for other people that's gone on my boats for sure i mean the the new boat i have it it doesn't rock and roll as much as my old ones do so i i can definitely see a difference in other people mm -hmm. like i i've had a guy who fished with me for multiple years now and he uh both my old boats he barfed plenty of times and uh 
for the first time ever in, in this new boat, he didn't barf. So I was like, well, here we go. This might be the perfect boat for him to go on now. Well, I, I also wonder, uh, your your old boat or well, the one you're selling right now which we i've been trying to help you advertise but um the the that old boat had a two-stroke motor and so two-stroke obviously puts off some pretty rank fume you know <laughs> as far as uh, uh exhaust but uh in addition to that just the the you know your other boat was open sled i noticed the difference between having an enclosed space and open makes a huge difference like fresh air and not feeling like you're trapped, like in this little moving cube, it makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, definitely. That's what a lot of people say. Well, especially since my boat's now four stroke, uh, no, no smell and you have no obstruction of view either. Like if it's sunny out, you can look at the horizon the whole time and not, you know, be trapped in a cabin, like trying to look through the window to make sure you're not going to get seasick. Yeah. So, so- Oh, Go ahead, John. I was just going to say, so what, what, what was your ideal vessel? What, what was like, this is what I need to accomplish what I'm doing. So how did you decide, like, this is the, this is the boat I want? Well, um, my previous boat could only take four passengers and my license is good up to six. So I wanted a longer length of boat so I could take two more additional people and then also one that had higher sides, better for the ocean and big water like the Columbia. Um, but I also wanted one that had a shallow enough V to also run the rivers with the jet on it. Because uh, I my motor, I swap back and forth between the prop and the jet, depending if I'm running shallow or not. And uh, so I decided on this new boat. It's a 25 and a half foot Super V. Uh, and it it's it's been totally awesome. I've had it about two months now i think and i've done everything from run rivers to to little bays and in the ocean in the columbia and it performs awesome so dude that's awesome that is awesome you know it's so do you you guys out there do you guys like prefer the uh the v's over the the flat bottom because we have a lot of flat bottom uh 10 boats out here you know we got a bunch of aluminum boats but majority of our stuff's flat bottom boats but it sounds like uh what 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 are some of the advantages of that v hull for you for you guys uh it it just rides better in the in the chop especially the wind chop Um, if it was a flat bottom it'd just be pounding every single wave like slapping it literally um which makes a rough ride and mine mine's kind of in between it's not a flat but it's not like a deep v either so it it can it can still run shallow and uh it but it can still handle the big water gotcha 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 yeah i guess it would be like i'm I'm, i while you were talking about that john i was trying to think of something that could be comparable for you is you know um your rivers are definitely not like our rivers no not 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 even in the slightest like our our rivers, I mean, our rivers are big, mm-hmm. you know, but I wouldn't say they're, they're, I mean, at least, especially around here, they're, they're not to the same caliber of like the Columbia River Basin rivers, you know, like y'all's rivers are huge and they're fast and they're deep. And yeah, we've got big rivers, but they're not huge. And most of, of they're huge, but excuse me, but they're not like, incredibly fast well i would i mean i would say your your closest to the columbia is going to be the mississippi or the missouri yeah dude then that's that's literally what i was thinking i was like we have the mississippi yeah but i mean the columbia is giant like it is it's massive um i mean for when when did you start going out and fishing buoy ten, Logan? Or when when was that kind of whole evolution? Was that after? Was that with the seventeen foot boat, or did you wait until you got your twenty foot sled? Uh, I never went in my seventeen foot, and I really had no reason to go up there. It, it's a long drive for me, um, mm-hmm. and especially that boat could only take like three people, so it really wasn't worth it. But I I started take going up there with my twenty foot, and uh, also in friends' boats too. Yeah um that i that's a wild 
fishery. Like it, it's insane, especially when the fish are running. It's it can turn into bumper boats depending on where you're at. You know, uh, where you're fishing and where the fish are. It's like shoulder to shoulder. Number one, you have boats everywhere. You hope that everybody has the mariner skills to be able to navigate their boat safely. What was it? Two years ago, there was a guy up there fishing. And then another guy just ran right over the top of his boat, just like totally plowed it. I do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. There, there's been there was one last year. Uh, actually, there was one this year too. Not many people heard about. Um, there's been one in the last three years. The boat running over top of another boat, just not paying attention. I have no idea. I never witnessed any of them, but from the stories I heard, it wasn't good. Yeah, there. I mean, they were horrific accidents, and and a lot of it sounded like it was like avoidable for the most part but that that whole fishery because i live a lot closer to it than you do that fishery historically has just been solid combat fishery as soon as the salmon as soon as somebody says hey there's there's fish at buoy 10 there's people stacked i mean they're hammering it and for good reason i mean the fish are fresh out of the salt are real bitey um you're not having to go out into the salt to get to them but man, it's a sandbar nightmare. If you don't know how to navigate it, it's a bumper boat nightmare. Um, but I guess comparably for John's sake, I'm, I'm going off on a different tangent here, but comparably for John's sake, think of the Mississippi with a ton of wind and then trying to drive a John boat over the top of that. That's pretty much what you're looking at comparably with, with, you know, if you had a flat bottom versus a V and gotcha. yeah i mean those are a v holes a very common uh super v we we know it as a super v aluma weld makes like the ultimate columbia river offshore boat around here um uh, i i'll i mean not to discount fish right not to discount you know like uh hughes craft and all these other people but as far as like river running sleds um when you got that boat though um it had been owned by a guide so you did you have to do a lot of work to it no, hardly anything at all. It was all ready to go. And that's what I needed because uh, I just wanted to get something that was ready to go. And literally, I used it the next day after I bought it. So I, my, my previous boat, it was kind of a project and I had to work on it a few weeks. I, I don't got time for this. So something ready to go. Yeah. Um, which I guess now we're going to go into why we're probably talking more so than not. I think, I think you, just with your ability to fish you're kind of a no bs guy you're just like i want to go fish you know it's not a, all about like this flamboyancy of like going down to the local tackle shop and be like yeah i caught like i filled like six hatchery harvest cards this year and blah 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 you know it's not like that with you but why we're here number one is is because you're now a licensed guide in oregon and and you're offering your services to people um what got you on that path to guiding because I know there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and they're like, I'm thinking about becoming a guide, but I don't know if I'm ready for this yet or not. So what got you to that point? Um, well, I'd have to say, uh, once I, uh, let's see, end of high school, I kind of stopped playing sports because I, I liked fishing at the time. Like I'm kind of over sports. So I wanted to do something else. And, I started fishing on my own, taking friends all the time, and then all throughout college, taking family members and friends. And then it got to the point where about every weekend, because I worked and had college, I'd fish both days, Saturday, Sunday, every weekend. And it got to the point where people wanted to go with me, but I ran out of like days to take them just as friends. And like some people started asking me, hey, you should start guiding. I kind of thought about it. I was like, eh, I don't know. And then uh, I had a couple of guide friends and they're like, kind of convinced me to do it. And uh, a couple um, of them really helped me kind of throughout the whole process, the whole application testing and all that. And, uh, and then COVID hit and uh, it kind of, I had a goal in mind when to start guiding and COVID threw that out the window. I couldn't do anything in person. It was all online, all emails and it took forever it it took me I think an extra nine months longer than I wanted it to um, and so I started guiding at the beginning of this year in January 
So I'm almost a year in now. Well, what has that ride been like? Has, I mean, is it, you're still doing it, so it's still worth it, right? Oh yeah. No, I, it's awesome. I, I didn't really know what to expect starting out, um, you know, with clients and all that, but I made, before I even had my license, you know, I had people contact me asking me if I was going to guide and I told them, yeah, I'm planning on it in the future. And like, I'll keep you in mind, like when I do. So I had people kind of just put away, you know, like I'll let them know when I'm going to start. And, and that, I think that's helped me a lot versus just starting out with no one in mind, basically starting nowhere with no clients. Like it's, it's hard to start out with no clients and then you're constantly searching for clients. Um, so I, I think that's helped me get going faster than some people is having a group of people that will share my name, you know, share my business out there and uh, help me get some clients along the way. Dude, that's, that's one of the hardest things is finding clients, like actually getting no shit clientele. That's, that's probably the hardest part of guiding because you're not a guide if you can't get people to go on your boat, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I did walk, not to your caliber, right? But I did, I did some walkway guiding uh, for trout. And I did a little bit of gar guiding and stuff like that. And that that was like my biggest issue was finding people that actually wanted to go fish that wanted to pay. You know, like I ended up making a lot of cool friends and taking a lot of friends fishing, but I never ended up like <clears throat> being able to sustain anything from it. <laughs> like, so the the just to segue into this is it means you're doing a good job man like i'm glad you're doing it and we need more guides and i know that sounds kind of wild maybe to say that and pe people might snicker at it but the the thing is you guys know what the fishery is doing you guys know what the fish are doing you know how it's changing because it's it's part of your livelihood if not your entire livelihood so the people who are most in touch with our fisheries are the guides. For sure. So it's like, I mean, you guys do the best job of conserve it out of anyone I know, because if it's not there, you can't do what you love doing and you can't survive. So I'm just, I'm super glad that you, you took that dive to do it, man. And that they, they talked you into doing it yeah it, i i was kind of skeptical at the beginning of how it was going to go but it's it's been way better than i anticipated so i can't complain with that so if anyone let's say if someone listening to this was like yeah i think i think i will do it what what is something you would tell them uh i would make sure that you have certain whatever fisheries you're gonna focus on have them pretty dialed in before you even start guiding. Uh, that, that was the biggest thing for me is like focusing on just a couple areas, couple rivers and have that fish and fisheries dialed in uh, because you don't want to go out there still kind of learning what the heck you're doing. Uh, you want to present like, Oh yeah, I know this, you know, need to be going here at this time, fishing this technique here. So. So be prepared. Yep. For sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, John brought up a really good point and I was going to, I didn't know if I was going to go into this or not, but we were talking about like the guide's role and, and giving understanding to the conservation and the care of the, the river or rivers, ocean, coastal areas estuaries everything else and you belong to a couple organizations that that focus on that we don't have to talk about them but um when you're out and you're guiding like when i go out with you it, it's always just like you know we're out there we're having fun we're fishing we're just doing our thing but do you ever find yourself in like a educator role in in certain circumstances like teaching people you know everything from like you know 
this makes this better. Like we were talking on Sunday, we were talking about like, hey, you know, it'd be cool to drag some logs and build some habitat, do things like that. Um, you find yourself talking to people about like those kinds of things actually help when people think, well, it's just another place to snag my lure, but that's like where the fish live or um, like good fish handling practices or like the origins of the fish in the river. Do you find yourself when I'm not on the boat? I don't know, but do you find yourself doing a lot of that? Yes, definitely. Uh, there's been multiple instances uh, where people, especially when someone's fishing slow, and I was like, oh, why is fishing terrible right now? I have to, sometimes it depends on what river we're on, if there's habitat issues, um, you know, predation issues too. Uh, and just the run in general, like the history of the run, like what, what has happened over time? Has it increased, decreased, stayed the same? And what, why and what can we do to make it better? Yeah, and, and that's you know, you're a part of the ODFW broodstock program as a guide, you, you have an aerator tank and you help out with that program for people that don't know what that is. Can, can you explain that? Yeah. So, uh, during winter steelhead season, we, we have uh, wild steelhead and we also have hatchery steelhead. Um, and when we catch wilds, we're supposed to release them back in the wild. However, there's guys and, uh, guides that, um, are, permitted through ODFW to retain those fish, but in live wells, uh, keep them alive. We take them to pens uh, and tanks throughout the river, drop them off. And then the hatchery personnel pick those up, take them to the hatchery. And they actually spawn those wild fish uh, live, release them back into the river. And then the, uh, they hatch the eggs and that's how they create the next generation of hatchery fish. Uh, so we're trying to keep the wild genetics in each river versus just taking the hatchery fish and keep spawning them year after year. It depletes the genetics. So we're trying to basically the hatchery fish in each river are only one generation removed from a wild fish. So uh, I, you don't have to answer this. What's your thoughts on this whole hatchery, uh, you know, kind of anti-hatchery culture? No, knowing now, so now people have an idea of what guides are doing. And granted, this is for winter steelhead. This is not for summer steelhead, Chinook salmon, coho salmon, but for winter steelhead. What is your standpoint on these on these groups and these decisions to close down these hatcheries? And if you're like, oh, I don't want to say anything about, you don't have to, but what's what's kind of your thought process on that? Uh, well, I think it, it would be different if, if we weren't doing this broodstock program, I, I, I can totally see just spawning hatchery fish year after year. It's, it's not good for the river system and the wild fish in the rivers. But since we're spawning these wild fish and making hatchery fish out of them, they're literally only one generation removed. I mean, in it's, I feel like it's no big deal if those fish get back into the river and spawn on their own because their parents were wild fish anyways. So I don't see a problem with it, but, there's certain groups that do and it it gets on my nerves but i really can't do anything about it they're going to do what they're going to do um, but hopefully they don't take away our fisheries when we're fighting against it so yeah i mean my my thought on it is is that let's let's say <clears throat> there's there's a hatchery up here it's the u.s fish and wildlife federal hatchery and they have recycled coho for years and years and years now this river has a top-notch multi hundred million dollar sorting facility at a dam that will sort out hatchery from wild fish or unclipped fish i guess <laughs> depends yeah. on how you want to put it um they sort those fish um and uh so they're saying, okay, well, those, those, those bad hatchery genetics of, of these regurgitated fish over and over, they're not getting up into the wild spawning reds per se, um, which I have a hard time buying. I, I honestly do because for years and years and years, those same fish were getting up there, but um, I can see where that would be bad because you're, you're just taking the same fish, squirting the eggs, squirting the milk, chopping them up, throwing them up for a stream bank enrichment and all that done that's what it is but on our coastal rivers especially the rivers you fish 
having that broodstock program has produced a pretty turbocharged angry fish that's a lot of fun to catch number one but also safeguards if i guess if your mindset is on the side of the research that says that hatchery fish are bad that really safeguards those fish in a lot of ways and still offers sport fishing opportunity oh yeah definitely and uh the we call them brood stock fish is what we call them um they they definitely seem to bite better than just regular hatchery fish and they come back bigger size stronger so like you said they're more fun to catch Mm -hmm. well and and so those are some of the key differences like if let's say you went to river a and they were just recycling a bunch of these you know winter steelhead six to eight inches as a smolt and they're kicked out in the river they got a pretty high survivability rate they go out they munch on a bunch of stuff in the ocean come back but then you take one of these broodstock steelhead you know they're still raised up and and smolted into that river and released um big differences between the two you kind of mentioned some of them but what are the big differences between just like your eh, you know this north coast river that just does that and a river that broodstocks uh well, I already mentioned size and the bite better uh, would be return rate too. You, you'll see that the broodstock program rivers have a higher return rate, which lead to more catching. Um, and I feel it, it attracts more people on the rivers for sure. Um, but since there's more fish to be caught in those rivers, it, it doesn't really matter if there's more people on them or not. Yeah. Well, it- by getting more people out there, though, that also puts more money into the system through oh, yeah. the license sales, the Pittman Robertson, all that kind of stuff. Uh, people that own boats like us, we pay you know, a lot of money for boat licenses, fuel, all that kind of stuff. You know, that's all in insurance and everything else. It's a actually a pretty significant part of recreational and like tourism economy for we, we talk about the Oregon coast, but anywhere that has that type of thing. Uh, it's a big part of the economy because, you know, anglers come and they spend the money and they pay for guides and they, and the guides in turn, you know, they support the local businesses and like, Hey, go stay at this motel or that, you know, it's kind of a symbiotic thing. So it actually works out really well. Um, but that, thanks for sharing that insight on that because I, we've never really sat down and talked about that before. I didn't oh, yeah, know. Definitely. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Dude. I didn't know anything about that at all. I mean, I'm not from around there, but I've never heard of that at all. That's that's awesome, though. Like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to find words for this. It's 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 it really is sustaining the fisheries. Like, no matter how you want to look at it, like if you're not getting the returns you need, and or for the wilds, then does that fishery actually survive? I, I think the answer to that's no, and I'm not trying to dig into all this stuff, but you know, it's just like, if there's no fish, there's no fishery. It's just a river. Yeah. At some, at some point, like that, that, and that's why ODFW does all the regulations with like wild fish and like, I don't know. Anyway, I, I think you, I think you are well on the right track, sir. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we're doing it because Washington's not, they don't do this. I mean, well, I I take that back. I believe Quinault does this, the, the uh, Confederated tribes of Quinault, I believe they have a broodstock program. And when their fish come back, they're like these giant 16 to 20 pound steelhead. They're massive. They're insane. Like you go through the STS magazine. It's like, dude, these things are huge. you've, You've probably seen those, but I, that's that's what I'm dreaming of. I'm dreaming of them on, you know, a couple of the rivers that you fish and uh, some some further north than that, where it, back in the day, you'd get that big hooked beak buck that was like 18 to 20 pounds, you know, you'd pick it up in like these little pocket waters and it was insane. And then fish got smaller and they got kind of weaker and didn't return as good. And so it's a, it's a great thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't say anything bad about it for sure. I think it's a unique thing for a guide also, you know, not around here. There's a lot of guides that do it, but 
in general, we'll have guides that listen to this and they're probably like, what is that? And, and so it, it's there on the ODFW website. Anybody out there can look at the, at the ODFW broodstock program. But now people that live around here that listen to this as is anybody eligible to participate in the broodstock program or do you have to be a licensed guide? Um, there, there's guys that aren't guides that are on the program, but it's mainly people who fish the river often. Uh, they, they don't want people that just will donate like one or two fish throughout the season. Cause then that's a waste of a tank and all the paperwork. They want people that's going to do, donate multiple, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 fish that actually helps the program out more than just a couple. Because we, we only have limited number of live well boxes and batteries. So we want to give them the people who can donate the most. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and like I said, I know that there's going to be people out there that are like, well, you know, I fish river XYZ. They got a broodstock program. Are you fishing it enough to warrant ODFW saying, hey, here's a battery, here's an aerator, here's a tank. This is where we'll pick up that, like on, on my river here. Um, <laughs> you call them at one boat ramp and they drive down from the hatchery. Everything's very accessible in the section of the river on the hatchery, like anywhere from five minutes from the hatchery to 25 minutes from the hatchery. And so when you're doing a, you know, floating section to section, you're like, Hey, I got, I got a big fish. I, I believe it was uh, addicted. They said, Hey, we got a video of a 40 inch buck that was caught on this river. It was huge. It was stupid big. Like, they went to net this thing out of the aerated tank and this thing was just angry. <laughs> it wow. was thrashing. It was huge. So, um, it, it, I, you can look it up on YouTube, but it was big. Um, so it's a really cool program and, and I think it's a great way to get like really dedicated anglers into that conservation. So, um, we're coming up on the hour, Logan. Uh, if people want to book a trip with you or they want to, you know, hit you up about like, Hey, when, when can I come and do this? And this goes out to anybody across the United States or international traveling. Uh, if you're listening to this in another country, how do people get a hold of you to talk to you about booking a trip? Uh, so first, um, I have a website. It's uh, chicken littles guide uh, It's got everything you need on there. Uh, you can actually book through my website. It has all the seasons on there. And uh, each season will list the calendar for that season, what days are open. Um, and then it has all the information about like what fish you can catch, even what my boats are on there. Um, and then you, you also can just text me or call me at my phone number. Uh, it's 971-599-8001. Uh, and then I also have uh, Instagram and Facebook, uh, Chicken Little's Guide Service. That's another great way to get a hold of me too and keep track of fish I'm catching. I post on there every once in a while. So you can see what I'm catching. Awesome. Uh, one question we didn't ask. I know it. John doesn't. Where'd the name chicken little come from? Dude, I was just about that. Literally. Uh, I was about <laughs> to ask that. <laughs> yeah, that's the question I hear on the river about every day. <laughs> uh, so there's kind of two parts to it. The first would be the chicken part. Uh, I eat a lot of chicken, uh, especially fried chicken. I, I pretty much bring that as a boat snack every day on the boat, fried chicken. Um, and then my main group of fishing buddies that I started fishing with, uh, I'm the smallest of them. And at the time I had the smallest boat too. So they kind of combined the two. So oh, we're going to call you chicken little. So that was my nickname. And uh, I, I had nothing to do with it. They made the name and uh, it kind of stuck as a nickname. And and then I turned it into my guide name because a lot of guides around here just have their, their first and last name and then guide service, which, I mean, that's, that's great, you know, um, but I wanted to do something that stuck out a little more. So that's how I came up with that. I, I always knew about it, but yeah. Oh, go ahead, John. I was just going to say, well, it's effective. Like, I think it's cool. <laughs> like, I think it's super, I think it's a super cool name and knowing that now, like, uh, I had, I had these ideas. I was like, chicken little, chicken little. I was like, the sky is falling. I was like, I don't know, dude. I was like, what, what, why the hell does he have the name chicken little? <laughs> like, I, I, dude, that's so much cooler than anything I could have came up with. 
I've I've even had people call me and just book with me just because of my name. They're like, oh, your name sounds cool. I'm gonna book with you. So I guess it works. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they don't even look at the pictures, they're not looking at the fish, they're just like, eh, this guy sounds legit, chicken little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I told another friend, I, uh, it was like, I said, yeah, I'm going to go on a guided trip. This was before ocean coho. And he was like, oh yeah, who are you going with? I was like, chicken little. Uh, it was like, who? I was like, chicken little. He was like, how'd he get that name? And I said, hey, he likes fried chicken. I, I didn't know about the little part. And he was like, if I know a guy, if you ate fried chicken on his boat, he'd throw you overboard. Cause it gets all that grease all over all the reels and everything else. I was like, I I don't know if like the, the eating is only to him or like if anybody could like bring in a, you know, 11 piece, you know, Colonel's original recipe on the boat. I don't know, but I was just like, dude, that's the name. The guy catches a lot of fish. All right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if someone wants to bring a whole bucket of chicken, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> You're helping out with it. Right. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, John, you got anything else for Logan? Dude, just. I'll probably shoot you some messages on Instagram because Brian, Brian kind of uh, was talking about like twitching jigs and stuff. And so just, just real quick is what is your preferred method of fishing for like salmon and steelhead? Like if it were just you out there doing it. If it was just me, I would personally say bobber fishing. Okay. I, I I love bobber fishing and, and it, I do that mainly during steelhead of um, salmon too, but um, I wish I could do it more for salmon half the year, you know, we're trolling, uh, which is still fun, but it's just the thrill of seeing that bobber tap, tap, and then just disappear and you just swing for the fences. It's, it's awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, thanks so much, Logan for coming on this evening and talking to us i like i said I've, I've never got a chance to meet oh man i broke my thread never got a chance to like meet you in person um so this is the closest thing to it brian speaks very highly of you and we're uh, you know everything if everything goes as planned we're hoping to book a trip him and i with you next year sometime oh okay sweet yeah it was a pleasure being on here and i appreciate the invite yeah. yeah dude well, anytime yeah definitely logan i mean thank you so much for coming on i know you've been out you've, you're grinding on the river you're doing your thing uh, i appreciate you taking the hour out of your time to talk to us it's a uh, real pleasure it's always a lot of fun to go out and fish with you um and and i i enjoy it i enjoy it because it's like i don't have to drive a boat and i don't have to figure out <laughs> i know it sounds bad but i don't have to drive a boat or anything else and it's like dude uh, you're just like yeah fish here there's fish and bang there's fish so it's just it's awesome but um truly you know it's been awesome to make a friendship with you and and develop that as well so thank you so much for coming on with us oh yeah you're welcome yeah this is fun thank you yeah so You'll be able to find all of Logan's uh, information in the show notes. I will be posting that and make sure that you go check out Logan. And of course, uh, by, if you are listening to this, you probably saw it on Instagram or Facebook. So you'll be able to find Logan's information there. If you're looking to contact John and I, you can always contact us at workingclassfish at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and the Go Wild app. Now, coming up, Real recently, we are also now available on iHeartRadio. So if you are listening to us on iHeartRadio, make sure to leave us a rating and also shoot us a message over on Instagram or to our email. Let us know that you're over there on iHeartRadio. We want to know uh, who's over there listening to us. So besides that, we have the Apple and we have the Spotify and we have a whole bunch of other places too. So definitely we appreciate all the listeners out there. So John, you want to run those sponsors one more time? Oh, always. So that is Troutlander Nets Exploration Through Innovation. That's our buddy, Wes Fulbright, Angry Supply Company. That's Rocky Phillips. He's got some really amazing deals on a lot of feathers and all that good stuff. All your basic fly tying essentials. We've got Max and Outfitters, uh, fly conventional, only one conventional rod, but lifetime warranties, exceptional gear. 
um, really affordable, really affordable entry levels. Um, then you got lid rig, use your head snip different. That's a, that is Scott Wilde. Um, really, really innovative, truly innovative designs for magnetic uh, nippers, uh, places to hold tools, hooks, fly boxes, whatever you need. It's there. It's on lid rig. You can also get some really cool swag. And then you've got myself, Morris Flyco. Uh, if you need some flies, hit me up. And that's it. Just everybody, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your continued support. Make sure you go check out Logan's stuff. If you're in the area, book a trip. You won't regret it. I mean, who doesn't want to catch fish and eat fried chicken? So. <laughs> all right right on john well there again everybody thank you so much for listening hope you all have a great day